Good morning. You know, when Dave prayed earlier, there was real inspiration in what he prayed. Serve the Lord, know the Father. Serve the Lord and know the Father. And as I've been preparing for uh, just that next step on our journey through James, uh, the passage that we're arriving at today is to do with having true faith, which then leads to actions. And as Dave prayed that, there was a real pregnancy in what he prayed. That actually each of us hearing it this morning and unpacking this word from James would serve the Lord out of a knowledge of the Father. And so that's what we're aiming for this morning. That's where we're going to go. And I'd really love it if you came on the journey with me. Otherwise, I'm just going for a walk. Over the past few weeks, you will have heard uh, both Dave and Martin refer to how James is this hard-hitting, really poignant letter, real hard-hitting points. He wasn't scared when he was uh, speaking, writing, in actually really hitting people with really important principles. And today's passage is just as pointed. Really, this passage is key in highlighting gaps. Gaps that can sometimes occur and be present in the life of believers. Particularly, this passage highlights the gap that can often be there between what we say, what we think, and how we act. In other words, that we can have these things that are going on in our lives that we think, that we believe, that we say we believe, but actually they're not reflected in how we act gaps between our hopefully growing faith and the actions that flow out of that faith. And here, James is encouraging us and encouraging those who first heard what he had to say, those dispersed believers, those who had been spread because of what was going on and what was being perpetrated by the Roman Empire, those who really needed to be encouraged, those who needed to be built up. He's encouraging them to fix their eyes on Jesus. As we've already heard this morning, to gaze upon him, despite the desperate situation, despite what is going on around us. So we start at verse 14 of James chapter 2. And James asks a question. It's a really good place to start. And the question is this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? What good is it? What good is it if someone says they've got faith but no good works flows out of that faith? And can that faith, he goes on to ask, really be a saving faith without those resulting good works? In other words, how can our faith be authentic? How can our faith be real without good, godly actions flowing out of it? James begins to unpack things by giving an example scenario where the listener has to imagine that they're presented with a naked, hungry, and desperate brother or sister. Maybe you can think of a scenario that you've been in where you've been faced by an individual who is really destitute, 
really has nothing, really desperate for something. Their response is to hope that their kind words will warm their naked bodies and fill their hungry stomachs. Go, be well, all will be great, and praying for you. James asked the question, what good does it do? What real life does it bring into that situation? And then he answers himself, it doesn't bring life. It doesn't make a difference. In fact, he goes further than that, and he says, it's dead. It's lifeless. It has no point. It brings nothing into the situation. Here's James in this real, this imagined scenario with two individuals, one of whom is really hoping that there's going to be just something, just anything. And James says all that is brought is just more death, just more desperation, just more nothing. In verse 18, James is almost anticipating the response of those that hear and and read what he has to say in that scenario. Does he expect them to be repentant? Does he expect expect them to say, oh, James, we, we had no idea that we were going so wrong. We want our actions to follow our growing faith. No, his anticipation is that there's going to be an argument His anticipation is that they're going to come out in defense of how they feel and how their acts don't match up. Defending their position, defending their practice. You know, right here and right now in this verse, I believe there's a real voice to us as his church today. Very often... We can move in defense of our practices and of our positions, despite hearing God clearly speak in the opposite direction. Actually, what God would have us do, how God would have us move, is to move in defense of Him and of His cause. Not of our traditions, not of our principles, not of our preferences, not of the way we want it to be, but instead in defense of him. You know, this is also a really contentious verse. Many people will point at this verse and actually use it to dispel the whole of the New Testament. They will say that because this verse contains what they believe to be a contradiction to what Paul teaches then therefore it must all be wrong. If there's contradiction here, there must be contradiction everywhere. And usually the verse that's quoted is what Paul teaches in Romans chapter 3, where Paul says, a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. In other words, what they're saying is actually Paul says that there is only one way. It is by faith alone. But in this instance, and I'll quote Martin, context is king. 
In this instance, absolutely, the two contexts that both Paul and James teach into, speak into, are very, very different. Taking Paul from Romans chapter 3. Paul is absolutely there teaching the church to be weary of false teaching and legalism. There were those in the early church that would say that actually faith isn't enough. You've got to go and you've got to make sure that you live up to the Jewish way of life. You've got to go and you've got to get circumcised. You've got to go and you've got to uh, keep to all of the festivals. You've got to go and make sure that you do A to Z daily 15 times. And Paul was saying by faith alone. It is by what he has done that we are justified, that we are saved. James, on the other hand, as we've said over the past uh, two weeks, and as we're saying again this morning, James is encouraging the believers. James is saying, you haven't got access to apostolic wisdom right now. You haven't got that on your doorstep. You are dispersed. You are lonely. You are feeling torn and pulled in all sorts of directions because of what is going on. It is necessary to keep keyed in. It is necessary that this faith that you profess flows out of who you are by good works. They're not contradictions. They're not the reason for us to dispel and disbelieve the whole of the New Testament. In fact, they're very different contexts. They're the Word of God, individuals inspired by the Word of God, speaking to very, very different people. So the next time your dinner guests decide that they want to thwart your belief in the validity of the New Testament, quote Martin. Tell them context is king. Amen. Verse 19. James is going on and and really here speaking to them. And again, he's not holding any punches. Here he is talking about the enemies of God, the demons. He says, you believe that there is one God. And then, to use a South Walian phrase, good on you. Good on you. Good job. Great. Even the demons believe that. Even the demons believe it and shudder. What an emotive example of those who absolutely know the truth, but their behaviors in no way reflect the truth. They may know it. They may know that He is God. They may know that He is the only God, but out of them flows the opposite behavior of that knowledge. Here James is encouraging us and those who initially heard this message to walk the walk as well as talking the talk. It's not okay to just have this knowledge in your head. It's not okay for it to sit there as an intellectual exercise for something that you ruminate over every now and again. That's not okay. James's challenge is for it to move from the head to the heart. 
and from the heart for it to be our behavior. Actually, James goes further again and challenges us and those who heard this initially that really the hallmark of authentic faith is our obedience, acting in obedience because of that faith. That's the challenge to us today. How much is your faith affecting how you believe? And how much is that belief affecting how you behave? Does your behavior reflect your authentic faith? Or actually, is it something that you push in a box and bring it out on a Sunday? I can say that because I've lived that life. I've lived a life where my faith was something that maybe at about quarter to nine on a Sunday morning, I would unlock the box, let it out, give it a bit of a, an airing, display it for all to see for a couple of hours, and then lock it back in around about lunchtime on Sunday afternoon. I've lived that life. I've been burnt by it. I've hurt others by it. James is saying it's not the way to go. Because even the demons know the truth. It's not good enough to just know it. You have to act it. Then he moves on from verse 20. And really here he's, he's unpacking some pretty key examples. Talks about Abraham, the father of the faith. Talks about how Abraham was considered righteous for his actions in offering his son Isaac on the altar. And that is a quote from Genesis chapter 22. And then he talks about how this is a demonstration of faith and action working together in obedience to God's instruction. That's that beautiful picture of Abraham being a man who knew God, who knew what God wanted of him, who knew of God and about God. And that coupled with his obedience, what flowed out was real good and godly behavior because he obeyed the instructions. There's an old chorus that some of you in here may know. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Abraham, James says, had that down. He had it nailed. He had his trust in his father. And he obeyed in a way far and above I could ever imagine being able to do. The one that he most loved. The one that he had most waited for. The promised son. He was able to couple his faith in God with his obedience, and lay Isaac on the altar. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham was called a friend of God, but actually it's really interesting that that account 
doesn't detail anything that Abraham particularly did in order to get slapped with that label. It doesn't say that because he did X, Y, and Z, he was called a friend of God. Not anything that he had done then, but because of his trust in God. James points out that the Scripture is fulfilled when Abraham's obedient actions flowed out of an obedient trust in God. Oh, to be, oh, to be, oh, to have that in my life, that I would know that what flows out of these hands, what flows out of these hands is a reflection of my obedient trust in him. James says, if we claim to trust God, it only becomes authentic when we obediently act on that trust. And that challenge is for us today. What is it that God is challenging you to do? What is it that he is calling you to? What obedient act have you been pushing in the box under the bed? hoping that you never have to get it out. What is it, what difficult thing is God asking you to do today? And how can your authentic faith be reflected in how you respond to his call? Now, on completely the other end of the scale, in verse 25, here we have uh, Abraham, the father of the faith, just being talked about. Here we go to verse 25. And we have Rahab, real polar opposite people. The patriarch, Abraham, the prostitute, Rahab. And James really intentionally picks both of these characters in order to point out it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what skeletons are in the closet. This message is to everyone. In fact, Rahab, not even Jewish, not even respectable, yet James says that her belief and her faith in God was out on display for all to see because she obediently did what God had asked her to do. It wasn't about how she was dressed. It wasn't about what had happened last night. It wasn't even about the fact that she'd made lifestyle choices that were really, really, really not commendable or recommended. It was about the fact that she was willing to take that faith in her God to obey him and to say, I will follow through with this. Like Abraham, we can see that what they believed flowed out of how they acted and what they did. Another challenge for you and for I. Whoever we are, whatever our background, whatever's happening and whatever's happened, our authentic faith should always be, must always be demonstrated by our obedient actions. The final verse that we're going to look at this morning is verse 
26. James's use of emotive language to really counter and to really compare a life that is just full of action, a life that is full of the Spirit, a life that is full of life, as it were, and then death. No life, no action, no Spirit. He says, as the body without the Spirit is dead, so faith without deed. that we find what good is it of that growing authentic faith is good works that's your responsibility and that's my responsibility it's not your responsibility to look at your neighbor and to judge their good works Let's be careful. But it is your responsibility to ensure that what you've got going on, what is flowing out of you, demonstrates a real, authentic, true faith. And to pray, how does it look for you to trust and obey? I'd love it if we could pray right now. I just want to encourage you to your feet if you're able. <coughs> having reflected on what James writes, having read what he addresses, where are the dead areas that you would have God breathe life into this morning? Where are the places where your behavior hasn't reflected your faith? Are there work situations where you behave less than godly? Are there situations in your family where you've felt as though you have to just lock the box of God? This morning, allow Him to breathe new life into your faith. Growing and authentic. I'm going to pray for you. that you would know new heights, new depths, new breaths. Father God, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for who you're making us. Lord, help us. Help us to grow in an authentic faith with you. Help our actions and our behaviors to reflect what is going on on the inside. Help us to be real. Help us to live real. Help us to walk what we talk. 
Father God, I pray right now for those that are feeling really challenged in the area of their marriages. Or they feel as though they're just not able to be real with their spouse. Where faith has been a bone of contention between husband and wife. Oh God, would you bring healing? Would you bring resolution? Would you bring growth? Would you bring newness? Father, I pray for us as a church, as Barnabas Community Church, people called of God. God, would you help us within the society that we find ourselves to stand against apathy, to stand strong, to stand real, to hate injustice, and to love those whom God loves. We thank you, Lord, for all you have done, for all you're doing, and for all you're going to do. In the name of Jesus, amen.